We hope you'll enjoy this episode of Women Worth Knowing. Make sure you rate us on your podcast app, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Hello and welcome to Women Worth Knowing. I'm Cheryl Broderson and I'm in studio with Robin Jones Gunn and and Trisha Goyer. Yes. yes, our friend Trisha Goyer is our guest. We are on part two because this beautiful redemptive story needed to be just examined. To, to what what did God do next? So right. be sure to listen to part one. And right, and I I do think we'll we'll give a little synopsis that mm-hmm. you know uh, Trisha was an honor student. She was a cheerleader. Uh, she'd had an abortion. Um, she got uh, pregnant again. Kept that baby. Um, feeling like you know nothing would ever happen, but these church ladies loved on her, yes. and she ended up praying for a husband. God gave her one, and but often. We tend to stop the story there. Like, okay, now that they're saved, yeah. everything is all right. But it wasn't, was it, Trisha? Oh, it was not all right. Well, for a while, I tried to pretend it was all right. And I tried to be the perfect Christian. And I was going to attend church Monday, you know, Sunday, Sunday night, Wednesday night, I'd go to all the Bible studies, volunteer and all the things, because I was trying to, you know, earn my earn my place and make up for what I, what I'd done, make up for my sins. And I just felt so much shame. I remember any time abortion was brought up, which it is often in Christian circles, oh, um, yeah. people speaking against it, preaching against it. I would just get sick to my stomach, like mm. almost feel like I'm going to have to rush out and throw up. And just if, if people hate me, I mean, if people knew they would hate me, I mean, just the, all the pain and all the shame and even my closest friends did not know I had told John about my abortion before we got married he knew my mom knew my ex-boyfriend knew but that was it like I didn't tell anybody and I never imagined I would ever tell anybody because I didn't want anyone to know I was even ashamed when like someone at church would see how old Corey was and they're like wait he's you know he's five like how old are you (laughs) like (laughs) I would see them and I would just like want to hide and I, I would just change the subject. I mean, it wasn't something I was proud of or I wanted to talk about either. And so it was in this time that we had moved. I'd grown up in California, and then we moved to Montana, and we had started attending a brand-new church. And one Sunday, this woman got up in front, and she said her name is Ronnie, and she had had an abortion when she was 19, and she had a Bible study for women who've had abortion. And, you know, she talked about the healing. And I just remember sitting there like, I cannot believe she's in front of the church, like talking about this. Mm-hmm. And everyone was just like clapping, like, yay, Bible study. I'm like, what in the world? I'd never, because every, every other service I've ever been in has been condemnation and, um, you know, uh, all the things. And I just felt like I cannot believe it. And so she talked about when the Bible study was, and it was like a month out. And every single day I would pick up the phone. I kept the, like, the bulletin that announced it. And I would like pick up the phone to call her. And then I would get so nervous about calling her and telling her that I'd hang up until the day of the, the Bible study and finally like called her and I'm like I need to come and she's like yes and she told me the time and the place and I remember just shaking on the way there like I can't believe I'm doing this and every, you know because I hadn't told anybody like even my best friends did not know and walking in there um, seeing there's five other women I just remember this burden lifting off my shoulders that I hadn't even realized that has been there to see that there's other women and the looks on their faces match those on my face 
And we just started going through this Bible says that talks about like God has forgiven us for all our sins. There's nothing we could have done. And, you know, we are walking in darkness. It's like, can you imagine being in a completely dark room and you're just groping for answers and you don't know the truth and you don't know the answer and you cling to the stuff that isn't true and look for a way of escape. And that was me. And, you know, and one thing is, you know, that she talked about was, would you make that decision again? And I'm like, no, there's no way. Um, and so realizing like it's okay to accept God's forgiveness and know that he's forgiven us for everything, but also forgiving ourselves and having compassion in our situation. We were just looking for a way of escape and that we make the wrong choice. And so the forgiveness that came from that was huge. It was just the burdens lifted. And I really became a, a different mom, a different wife, because when you're trying to hide all that pain and shame, it's like it's putting a wall around your heart. And I just remember like there'd be times that like my three-year-old would get hurt and he would have this big pet and I'd almost be like, I have no emotion. Like I feel no mm. sympathy. I feel no, like it was no emotion there because I was so busy trying to hold in that pain and shame. And then afterwards, I'm like crying at Hallmark commercial. I mean, all, all the soldiers <laughs> commercials, all the things yeah. It's like, what is going on? Because it was all released. Like I accepted God's forgiveness and I started teaching that Bible study a couple of years later and wow. seeing the women come in and them being transformed. And here I was, I was probably 24, 25 at the time. Um, and women that had been for 30 years, like walking with pain and shame. And then um, our pastor at the church, Daniel approached me and said, Hey, would you consider helping start a crisis pregnancy center? Because uh, there, there wasn't one for 120 miles. We were in Northwest Montana. And I remember saying, well, I'm going to you know, say the politically correct thing, which is I will pray about it. But I, had, <laughs> I was homeschooling. Um, I had three kids at the time. My oldest was about five or six. So I was homeschooling. I was writing. I just started getting stuff published. I'm like, I'm good. Like, I don't need to do this. And But when I did pray about it, I felt like God's like, what about that young woman that you were? Like, don't you, you know, don't you wish you could help other people because they don't face the same things you face? And I remember telling Pastor Daniel, um, yeah, I think I'm supposed to do this. And it was me and two other women and him. And we started, like, I took online, I took classes on how to start a crisis pregnancy center and went to workshops and went to, I mean, it was just like, I was probably 20 seven at this time and here I am this nonprofit organization running things and just it was like God just gave us so much favor our very first training we had someone come in to do training for volunteers and we just posted it on the radio and at churches we didn't have any idea how many people would be there and the very first time 30 women were there to help wow. and volunteer um, God all the churches uh, one church gave us their parsonage to use as a pregnancy center, all the other churches would sponsor a room and would completely remodel it. We had volunteers. It was like uh, we had someone come up and do more training. I think we were two years into it. And she's like, you have more going on in two years than most centers I've seen that have in 20 years. Like mm -hmm. God just poured favor on it. And it was that, you know, being able to see these young women come in completely scared, completely frightened. Um, within the first year, there was like a hundred less abortions in uh, our whole county than there had been the previous year because they were getting help and hope. And that's when I first started mentoring teen moms. And again, this was not something like 
I ever thought like, oh, I want to start a crisis pregnancy center and I want to help. It was God clearly is like, this is, I, I want you to do this because you don't, I mean, I, I want you to give hope where you didn't have it before. And just seems that just change everything. And, you know, after a while, I and mean, this is one thing that was really encouraging. After a while, I was able to step back from a lot of those things because God, God brought amazing people. And right around the time my writing, I started getting books published. It's like there was fully staff, fully paid staff that was there and I could step back from it. And God just needed me for that season to step in and do the work that he asked me to do. And I almost feel like he said, you know, I was faithful up to what God had asked me to do with starting the center. And I still continued to mentor the young moms, but here, here's that publishing dream that you had. Here you go. And ever since that first book got published, I've just had contract after contract after contract. It was like, um, just taking those steps of obedience. It's amazing where God has led me. And it has been just following him. Um, I love Henry Blackaby's um, experiencing God, where is look what God is doing and join him. And that's, that's, I feel like that step of first starting the center and just joining him is that what my whole life has been ever, ever since. It's just joining him in what he's doing. I can attest to that because I've seen it. And what we, Cheryl and I have seen in so many stories that we've told of women from the past, that there were those key moments, and you certainly had mm-hmm. one at 27, where you said, okay, Lord, yes. I yeah. have no idea what to yeah. do or how to, but we had women who said, I'm your girl. And, you know, and that pivotal moment, I really, when you are telling the story, I just can't help but believe there are women who are listening who they need to take that next step of faith and Mm -hmm. obedience and tell their stories as raw and difficult as they may be or to say yes lord i will help other women because of something i've gone through that first step and then when god just meets you there and opens the doors it's been true throughout your life i've seen it over and over now trish trisha i have a question like your first story. Was your first story fiction or nonfiction? This is a good story. Tell it, tell it. <laughs> <laughs> I know all her good ones. Okay. So, so it was fiction. Mm-hmm. And actually, I had two almost simultaneous. So I'll tell you the, e- the easier, shorter story is I had a nonfiction book, 14 Moms, with Mops International, oh. which is Mothers of Preschoolers. Yes. Um, I was leading these groups, and I'm like, there's no book for them. And I went to, by myself, to a conference, met with this editorial staff and said you need a book for teen moms and so i was able to write that so that's the quick easy story so then then the whole time my heart was fiction like i just wanted to write fiction and i wanted to write novels i had written proposals i had an agent robin helped me with my agent had an agent at this time but i would get stuck to the publishing committee and get rejected and i was just like it's not happening for me and uh two of my friends and the graph and Cindy uh, Martinez and Coloma, they were going um, to Europe. They were both researching for their books, and they asked me if I wanted to go. And here I am, this homeschooling mom, pregnancy center director, but somehow my husband's like, you should go. And I remember on that trip, Anne was specifically saying, there's a story here for you. I just know God is sorry. And I remember saying, oh, I'm just here for the baguettes and the Mozart concerts and all these other things. There's no way. But um, on the last day, we were in Austria, and we went to um, this concentration camp, Matt Hausen concentration camp. 
And we were there and a historian was telling us about the liberation of the concentration camp by these 23 American GIs from the 11th Armored Division. They didn't even know that a camp was there and they ended up opening the gates. The, um, the Jews come pouring out. The Germans surrendered to them and then the very first person into the camp was the Nazi officer's wife and she had not uh, liked what had been happening and her husband had escaped to get away from the Americans and the Russians were also close by and she just started feeding and caring for the people and I remember wow. like this is all true and I remember like this is amazing like yes. I I want to write this story and I turned to Anne and Cindy I'm like are you going to write this and they're both like no they all they had different book projects and I went home and talked to my agent and she's like, you need to see if any of those veterans are still alive. And so I contacted the 11th Armored Division and wrote letters. They gave me the addresses of the, the original 23. There's 11 of them that I had contacted every single one of them within a week. I'd written them letters, wrote back and invited me to their um, convention, their yearly convention where they would get together. And I was able to go with my friend Cindy and interview the veterans and hear their stories. and. I remember, um, I soon got a, a book contract for this, and I remember, here I was, this is all around the same time, probably 29 at this time. Here I'm 29, I'm homeschooling, helping with the pregnancy center. Uh, now I have a book contract about World War II, and I was like, this was before Google, so I was like looking up, now when did World War II start, and who was involved, because I wasn't even a history lover at the time. Now I, I just love it so much. But I remember sitting there and just praying like, God, why me? Like there's there are people that have history degrees and they know all about these things. And I'm just like, now what did you say? Where were you? And I'm I just I'm learning the basics and I felt just so clearly it was an audible voice that God saying, but you were the one that was locked in and in chains. And I was the great liberator that came and open the doors. I want you to step, to talk about the spiritual liberation and the freedom that I brought you right back. And I was like, okay. And I was just had tears pouring down my face because I thought it was all about the World War II veterans and all about this uh, Nazi officer's wife. But really it was that spiritual liberation is just as important part of the story um, as the physical liberation of these veterans coming or GIs coming in, opening these gates, and when um, I was able to see that, and that this is the spiritual liberation, I mean, that came, it was in the story so strongly, and mm -hmm. I remember when the book came out, my friend who started the Crisis Pregnancy Center with me, she's like, oh my goodness, you wrote your story, and I'm like, oh, it's a Nazi officer's wife, like, in 1945, <laughs> uh, it's not my story, she's like, no. She was feeling condemnation and shame. She went in and was trying to do things in her own efforts, trying to make a difference. And then she realized that she needed God to liberate her soul. And she goes, and this is your story. And I'm like, oh my goodness, it's my story. <laughs> I didn't even know. Um, and then the very first reader letter I got was from a, a young woman in Switzerland. I guess, Robin, we get letters from people well, I guess, yeah. I love it. <laughs> yeah, and, and she said, um, when your main character, Helene, got on her knees mm -hmm. and accepted Christ 
I did too. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like, yeah, I'm like, it's amazing. And so the book is from dust and ashes and it still continues to sell. Yes. Um, and it's actually getting written in a screenplay right now. So we'll see if that anything happens with that. But that story um, is just God's gift. And I was able to continue working with those veterans. I wrote many World War II books after that. Um, and it's like God saying, like that, I think back to that 17 year old, like, uh, if you could do anything with my life, please do. And God's like, just get your seatbelt on. Because I have so much fun. Yes. And none of it was like me ever planning. Like I wasn't like, I want to start a pregnancy center, mentor teen mom. Uh, I, I've never wanted to write historical fiction because I thought it'd be too much work. Well, now I love it. But it was like God just that it's been a step at a time me just like following where he's leading and it's been these amazing amazing experiences where i'm completely along with the ride with what where he's going and he really did the same thing when you adopted your first daughter yeah absolutely so uh here i was like content with i am pregnancy center writing homeschooling my other kids and God put adoption heavy in my heart and um, you know anytime you read God's word it's like care for the orphans and the widows um, my grandma moved in with us mm-hmm. right around the same time like so much stuff but I talked to John about it, adoption and for years he's like oh we're busy there's too much going on and then years later he's like came to me again and said are you interested in adopting still and I'm like yes and so we started at the time, there's a law around China and adopting from China, um, these baby girls. And so we did all our paperwork, and I was so excited because I'm like, this is what the next step, and God's making it clear, and I read it in his word, and, like, it's going to all fall back into place like everything else. And um, I remember a year after we turned in our paperwork, I got a we got a phone call from our adoption agency, and they said China has shut down all adoptions of healthy baby girls. Um, and we don't know if it will ever happen. If it might happen, it might be five years from now. And I just remember being so crushed because mm-hmm. God like made it so clear, like we were supposed to do this. And finally John's on board. And I remember just crawling under my comforter and crying. and like, I don't understand. Like you tell us to care for the orphans and I don't understand we spent a lot of money to get that done. Yeah. Uh, but finally just surrendering like, God, I give it to you and uh, whatever child you have for us and just felt this peace. And later that day I was taking my grandma to Walmart and I'm just driving along and get a call on my cell phone. And um, it's a, a friend that I had met in Mops and she said, are you interested in adoption still? I don't know what's happening. And I'm like, well, just today we found out, like, this is not going to happen with China. And she says, I actually have a sister-in-law through, I mean, kind of they adopted this person into the family. It wasn't an actual sister-in-law, but um, that she is pregnant and she's seven months pregnant. And she thought she had a family picked out and they went with another birth mom and uh, she's going to have a baby girl in three months and would you be interested in adopting this baby and it was like yes but it was this very same day that I mm-hmm. got the bad news from China and then God like I surrender God like whatever you want to do and so three months later we had Alyssa um, 
brand newborn baby girl. Um, just beautiful. She looks exactly like she. Me. I was just going to say, <laughs> I, I think the first time I held her, she was maybe four months old. And I yeah. looked at her, I looked at you and went, I mean, God just is amazing. Like, this is remarkable. Yes. And she's like way more like me than her birth mom. And her birth mom, uh, we still, you know, keep in touch and send photos. We've gone up to see her. Uh, we moved to Arkansas after that. So we've gone up to see her in Montana probably every other year. So she's, uh, it's an open adoption, but she's, she's really like, you're her parent. Like she wants to know what's happening, but she's never tried to like push her way in. It's just been just a gift um, to us. And that just opened our hearts to adoption even more. And then what happened? (laughs) (laughs) Since your hearts were so open, (laughs) the Lord said, oh, you have room for more? I happen to have a few widows and orphans to bring your way. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, we had moved right when we found out about Alyssa. And we felt a call to move to Arkansas, and we joined Family Life for three years. So we were part of Family Life over here. My husband worked in the computer department, so it got Wait, us to Arkansas. What is Family Life? Okay, so Family Life is Dennis Rainey, um, and it's part of Campus Crusade for Christ. Perfect. And so it's a it's a ministry that reaches out to people, and we, I mean. God had done so much in our marriage and our family. Um, John's like, I'm going to support them. And so there was an opening in their computer department. So we moved to Arkansas. And I never thought that would happen. But <laughs> when we were here with our, our one son, Nathan was 15 at the time, our youngest biological, and then Alyssa was a newborn. And then our older son had gotten married and our daughter was finishing up her college up in Montana. And we moved down here and everywhere there's these photos of kids that are open for adoption um in arkansas at the time there were 600 kids whose parents rights had already been terminated Mm. that just needed a permanent home and and it's from foster care and i always thought before that foster care was you know you go do the visits with the birth parents and you know it's the chance that they could be taken away i mean i thought that's what it was and i came to find out that in foster care in most states they have hundreds of children whose parents are um, rights are already terminated and they are available for adoption so they, they put their photos in every church I would go to <laughs> like there's all these photos of these kids and Alyssa was extremely spoiled at uh, she you know she had all these adults doting on her and we said you know probably be good to give her some siblings and we were kind of talking about it a little bit but nothing serious and I ended up going to a speaking, I was speaking at this conference and I wrote Kisses for Katie with uh, Katie Davis adopted at 19 years old, 13 girls from Uganda. Mm-hmm. And okay. I, I didn't realize I, you were the author. I love that book. Mm-hmm. We no, wanted I, to yeah, do I one on Katie. So maybe you should do the one on Katie. We'll call you back and um, you can tell Katie's story. Yeah. I, well, I didn't do the book on Katie. I read the book oh, about okay. Katie. Yeah. So I read that book and just was crying so much. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, if she can do that, then maybe we can adopt some kids from foster care. But I asked the women who were at the conference with me if they could help me pray. And because uh, I don't know what my husband was going to say about this. And after we prayed, I called him. And the very first thing out of his mouth was, have you ever thought about adopting kids from foster care? Wow. Because just that day, someone from Family Life had taken him out to lunch and said, you know, it doesn't cost anything because we spent a lot of money in China. We spent a lot on the private adoption. 
he's like, it doesn't cost anything to adopt from foster care. Um, and there's all these kids. And so we just jumped in and did all the applications and the home studies and all that. And uh, when Alyssa was two, we brought home uh, Casey, who was two, and then Bella, who was five at the time. And there was so much trauma. They had been moved around. They'd been in tons of foster's homes. They had failed adoption. It was so hard. <laughs> it was so hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but just to see, we got trauma therapy, and they taught, I mean, so much helpful information and help. And we just saw them change and grow and bond. And we're like, wow, this is amazing. And I thought, okay, we're done. Like, we have, we have our three little kids, we have our three older kids, and we had grandkids by this time, and then God very clearly during one church service um, said, no, I want I want you to adopt a, a sibling group of teen girls, because I saw so many teen moms that they would age out of foster care and immediately became pregnant, and immediately didn't have a home, didn't have family, didn't have anything. And I remember after that church service going to John and like, I think we're supposed to adopt teen girls from, from foster care. And he's like, yes, he, he got the same thing. So God uh, has been so good about yeah. confirming that. And so at home. And this is why you pray director. for your future husband. You That's pray right. that God yes. will give you the partner <laughs> that you will both be listening to the Lord and follow what God's asking you to do. Yes. Yeah. And so uh, I emailed and I'm, I, um, Christy's the one of this the organization is called Project Zero, and they're trying to get zero kids in foster care. Um, but I said, you know, John and I really feel led to adopt a sibling group of teen girls, which who wants a sibling group of teen girls? I mean, it's so hard. And uh, she goes, I just got an email like an hour ago, and she sent me this photo of these four Hispanic, which I'm Hispanic, um, teen girls. And she's like, and she gave us their names, and they just had had a failed adoption before us. They had been in foster care for six years. Um, they had a lot of issues and we're like, this is it. This is what we're supposed to do. And wow. so we brought them home. They were 11. Uh, well, when we first met them, when we first started do- doing home visits, which um, because they were in a children's home, which is very much like an orphanage. I didn't even know those things existed, but they wanted them to finish up the school year where they were, so they would do visits. There were 10. Um, and then one was 10, there's 12 year old twins. And then one was 14. And then by the time we adopted them, they were 11, the th- twins were 13. And then the older one was 15. And, uh, like everything I've talked about was easy compared to those four girls. It has been the most challenging, um, overwhelming, hardest thing, but God, again, he's brought so much healing. I, I would say there's still struggles, a lot of struggles, but we have seen God work. I'm completely changed. I Any pride that I had before that I know how to do this parenting thing is out the door. Um, I'm able to minister to a lot of families that have adopted kids from hard places, and I understand. I have compassion. Well, and the remarkable thing, too, is that you've chosen to homeschool for all these years, Mm -hmm. and now you're able to really speak into the homeschool community. You have Mm -hmm. been given opportunities to speak into the writing community, saying, don't don't say you don't have enough time. (laughs) Let's talk about how to find time. (laughs) And just the overview, like to try to summarize what God's done in your life, is that you have 
said yes, and God has mm -hmm. taken you at your word and been faithful to do the next thing and the next thing. And you and John together as a team have just yeah. prayerfully taken all those next steps. You've, you've even wrote, written a book about that, Walk It Out. You've written all these books that I hope our listeners will just go to TrishaGoyer.com, pick Pick one, and you'll be blessed. <laughs> yes, you'll be blessed, and and you'll just want to read more. The uh, next book, actually, that um, Trisha has coming out is another one that I wrote with her, and that one is called "Before You Meet Your Future Husband." And we wanted to do that one because we felt like mm -hmm. after writing "Praying for Your Future Husband" and all the years that that book has been out, we keep hearing from girls who have this magical thinking, or they're not quite ready to understand how marriage works. So it's like, let's get those readers to start with before you meet your future husband so that they can get their heart and their head prepared and whatever it is God has for them, that they would be completely ready to say yes to God, just as Trisha had. And once again, she and I come from these two, you know, opposites attracting kind of a thing, but but on the same point with the message that God wants to show you his deep love for you and lead you on the path that he has for you because he created you for such beautiful purposes. And I guess that's how we could summarize Trisha's story is that you have been on that path mm -hmm. and that God has so clearly been evident through through your life, even the really hard times. We didn't even get into the hard times. We all have them. You've had them. I know about those. How old's yes. your youngest child now? He's 12. 12. Okay, wow. You're He's still in 12. the thick of it, aren't you? We are doing soccer classes and <laughs> lessons and homeschooling and homeschool co-op and we're still and, doing all the things. And yeah. you still write. And you still write, which is I mean, again, it's therapy. Yeah, it's either write or go crazy. That's right? true. <laughs> Time efficiency, though, too, which is just yeah. amazing. Well, this yeah. is just a treat for us to be able to have you here, Tricia, because I know that um, this is sort of a an introduction that I want our listeners to start reading your books because of the wealth of the beautiful God stories that you've composed. And um, and the fact that they all have that that um, counter story of that's actually yes. true, yeah. But it's repeated um, in the books, which it's the story of redemption. It is, and the truth yeah. is there. And those books are, as we've said before, little missionaries that go out all over the world and tell people about God's love. I just love you, Trisha. I'm just so glad you were able oh, to share your I story you. with us today. It's really a gift to us to be able to. Absolutely. And a gift to those who hear. Yes. Just like all the church ladies up out there are just jumping up and down. <laughs> I'm one. Like, keep praying. Like, don't give up on people. Like, oh, don't give up and think, so oh, good. You know, I went three times and she just turned her back on me. <laughs> she didn't want me to pray for her. Like, it yep. makes a difference. That pouring into people makes a difference, even if we can't see it right away. That's so exactly. True. Yep. Thank you for joining us so much. We are out of time. We could probably do three and four parts, but maybe we'll, <laughs> I can't wait till you're in California and we get you in the studio and you're oh, telling us it. about some of your favorite women because we know that you have quite a few mm -hmm. and I can't wait. I do. <laughs> well, God bless you listeners. God bless you, Trisha. 
God bless you, Cheryl. Thank you. God bless you, Robin, <laughs> and all of our listeners. And we're so glad that you joined us and heard Trisha's story because it's an inspiring story. But it can also be your story because you have a story. And that's why we tell these stories. So you will know that your story, though unique, is um not one of disqualification, but one that God wants to turn into beauty and bless others by. So that's why we do what we do with Women Worth Knowing. So this is Cheryl Broderson and Robin. Jones Gunn, happy to be with you again. That's right. And you'll be hearing from us next week. Thank you for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Robin Jones Gunn. For more information on Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. You can also follow Robin on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. If you think there is a woman worth knowing, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at WWK at CCCM.com. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you've subscribed and don't forget to rate us on your podcast app and share it with friends. Thank you again for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Robin Jones Gunn.